is Jimmy Scroggins. I'm the lead pastor at Family Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. Are you tired of going to conferences, reading books, and listening to speakers who tell you how to do church when you know that you cannot do what they are recommending? You've come to the right place on our podcast. We're going to give you principles, strategies, and ideas that you can implement right now with the resources you have at your church because this is church for the rest of us. Welcome to our fourth episode of Church for the Rest of Us, and today we're going to talk about killing the sacred cows in your church. Last episode, we talked about starting where you are, confronting the brutal facts and assessing reality, and today again, we're going to talk about killing the sacred cows in your church. Every single church has sacred cows, and I'm here today with Christian Ramos, who's the worship pastor here at Family Church, and he's oversees all of our worship pastors at all of our campuses. And today we're going to tackle this topic, killing the sacred cows, or in our case, we're even going to talk about killing the sacred camel. So Christian, I think you can probably tell the story better than anybody else. Can you tell our listeners what we mean when we talk about killing the sacred camel? <laughs> well, Jimmy, we're, we're really talking about the singing Christmas tree, which That's was a right. huge deal in our church. Actually, it ran for 30 plus years. And honestly, it had a huge impact in my life. Personally, I came here as a college student and I started singing and dancing. Yeah, I said it. Yeah, I've seen um, you do that. I would remember. Yeah. You get some it's nice a, outfits too when you're it, doing that. And it's on video too. <laughs> Pirate shirt and all. But Stones. but we uh, we got involved during that time here just singing the singing Christmas tree. What I loved about it, and it was so great. I mean, tons of people involved. I mean, you had hundreds of volunteers, people that would normally not participate in anything else would come and be a part. You know, you had big sets and you had big costumes and uh, yeah. people were excited about using their gifts and the community was also excited about That's right. coming and being part. I mean, you're talking about 12 shows over two weeks, quarter of a million dollars, I mean, you know, and, and budget, lights, fog, you name it. We had it right. and uh, it was it was a great tool and I think it did a lot for the families and for, for our church for a while. Yeah, and it really was a spectacular production. I only got to see it one time. I came here in 2008. And that was really uh, the last year that we had the singing Christmas tree here at Family Church. But I remember going to that, having never been to a singing Christmas tree as a new pastor. And honestly, I was thinking, this is going to be the cheesiest thing (laughs) that I've ever heard of in my entire life. And then I went to it. And I think that year we had 14 shows or 17. I don't know how many we had. We added shows. And they were packed out. And there was all of these people that were not churchy people coming and there was, I mean, it's like five or 600 volunteers putting this thing on. And it was phenomenal, Christian. You guys had Cirque du Soleil flying out of the yeah. ceiling and you rented animals from SeaWorld and they flew around the building. And I mean, it was just, it was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. I was blown away by the scale of it. And honestly, the level of excellence and the response of the audience. And one thing that our worship ministry did so well is you guys clearly shared the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death for our sins and his resurrection and it was really a, a powerful presentation. So even to this day in our community, people still talk about the singing Christmas tree. And a lot of people would be thrilled if we would revive it. Absolutely. I hear it all the time. People are come <laughs> to me you still. Do. You're talking about nine years later, yeah. still coming to me. Hey, are you guys going to do that ever again? Because it had that type of impact in our community. It really did. And I run into people all the time that are not churchy people. They say, oh, you're the pastor of that church downtown. You guys do that 
Christmas thing. And they think we, you know, they don't know that we stopped like a decade ago, but they, <laughs> they, they still, it's, it's, it has that much of an impact on, on our community. But we came to the point in 2009 when we had a conversation as a staff. Now you were not on our executive team. You were in a different position at that right. time. Uh, you're, you're an assistant in, in another role, but Christian, you were in these conversations. We were talking about, mm-hmm. should we continue to do the singing Christmas tree? And we decided to stop doing it. Talk about why, why do we decide that? Why do we make that call? Yeah, it was definitely a very difficult call. You think about something that you've been pouring your life into for 10 plus years. And uh, I remember walking through that. But something that I loved about our, our organization from the beginning in our church was that we, uh, once you came in, Jimmy, we were trying to look at everything. It wasn't yeah. just the same Christmas tree. We we're trying to look at That's everything right. and all the different tools that we were using to see if they were still having the impact for Christ that we wanted them to have and were they the right tools for the time. And I think once we started that conversation, we realized that, you know, to an extent, we were doing what a lot of people just tend to do, which is we were worshiping the tool rather than the one that the tool was made for, which yeah, is, yeah. Uh, is is Jesus. And so we were we were just loving the idea of the singing Christmas tree for the sake of performing in many ways. And even though it still had a reach within our community, I think we, we were kind of headed into that direction where we had been using this tool for a while. Now the tool was what was important. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I do woodworking and I, yeah. I, I like to work, do furniture. And my wife asks me for pieces all the time. And I don't, yeah. I don't sit around in You're my garage. You're about to get a lot of orders well, because yeah. of this podcast. Way to go. <laughs> I hope not because it's just a hobby. But, you know, I don't sit around thinking about what tools, you know, oh man, I, I can't work without this tool. Actually, I'm always thinking what's the next tool that I can utilize to do a better job yeah. at this. So yeah. I think our church did that. But, you know, the tree had gotten to the point where in many ways we were just trying to make it bigger and better every year. And that's <laughs> that's a huge burden. You're trying to make it bigger and better, but what's the purpose? Are we actually accomplishing more by doing this? But really the, the thrust of it was, let's make it bigger, let's make it better. And we were spending a lot of the church's resources. I mean, you're talking about a quarter of a million dollars plus all the time from the staff and people, the laity yeah. and volunteers. It was a lot to the point where we were actually cutting back on Sunday mornings. That's right. Uh, you remember this. I do. We were like, give off the whole team off and bring a guy to sing with tracks. Yeah, let I- me just jump in here because I was a senior pastor. Because I tell you, and I love Chuck Lewis was the worship pastor. He was your boss at the time. Yes. You are his assistant. And I love Chuck. And Chuck's a professor at Southern Seminary now. And we are great friends and brothers. And Chuck is an excellent, excellent, excellent pastor. And one of the things that Chuck's so good at is if you give him a job, he is going to take it and it is going to be unbelievable. Amazing. And so that was his job. He was tasked with that by the pastors who hired him and brought him on board to make it amazing. And he did. And one of the things that happened when I was going to be the pastor at First Baptist Church in West Palm Beach in 2008, I was in Louisville, Kentucky. That's where I was serving. And Chuck flew to Louisville, took me out for coffee, and he said, okay, Jimmy, a lot of people are going to give you a lot of advice about pastoring this church. I'm giving you my two cents. Mm-hmm. And he said, the number one issue for you as the new pastor, it's not building a new sanctuary. It's not our debt, which is significant. It's not our facilities, which have a lot of deferred maintenance. It's not our staff, which is going to have to be retooled. The number one issue, are you going to be the pastor of the Singing Christmas Tree Church or not? Big question. He said, that is the big question. And I said, okay, what if I say, yes, I want to be the pastor of the Singing Christmas Tree Church? He said, we are so big now. One, we're going to have to find a new venue because our sanctuary is not big enough to accommodate the event on the scale that it is right now. Number two, you're going to have to hire a full-time 
producer who works year-round at First Baptist only focusing on the singing Christmas tree because I can't be the worship pastor and develop the singing Christmas tree at the level that it is now. And so when I came, I thought, you know, these guys are so full of it. They think that their little Christmas play is so amazing. (laughs) And so I got there, you know, in August. What I didn't realize is they started working on the singing Christmas tree in January. Mm -hmm. And by May, the thing was in full swing. All summer long, people were building sets and working on it so that by the time you come back to school in the fall, August, September, October, November, our youth program is focused on the singing Christmas tree. Our children's program is focusing on the singing Christmas tree. Every square inch of our facility was taken up with sets and all this other stuff. And so I remember I was in September. I said, hey, we're going to do this series in October. I'd like for you guys to build just a few modest props on the stage for our new teaching series. And they said, oh, no, 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 no. That's absolutely impossible. (laughs) And I thought, what are you? Who are you? I'm the pastor of this church. It's not impossible. I told you I want some sets. They said, you don't understand. Sing it. Every person who can build every space, it's all working on the singing Christmas tree. And honestly, I thought to myself, are you serious? We can't preach the way we want to preach in September because there's an event in December. And then the the final cut for me, Christian, I know you remember this because you're <laughs> laughing because it made me so mad. Yes. The final cut for me was when the Chuck told me, he said, now listen, on this uh, these two Sundays in December, the worship team is not going to lead music. <laughs> and I thought, on Sunday, you guys aren't going to lead music? No, we're not going to lead music. We're going to be too tired from the singing Christmas tree. So we're bringing in a guest worship leader, and she's really, really good. And I said, well, who's going to play the music for her? She said, oh, no, she's going to lead from tracks. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, no. At church, we are not having a lady from some other place come, and I'm sure she's great, but we're not doing that. And so I know you guys got mad because I made everybody come back and play. <laughs> and I've never been able to use a track ever since. No, that's so. exactly right. And we're not using tracks at family church. We'll just sing to nothing before we sing yeah. All right, so so anyways, that's the kind of scale that we're talking about, and this was a massive, massive undertaking. It's so much that when I went to the deacons and the leadership of our church and told them that we weren't going to have the St. Christmas tree, I had to tell them like the first week in January before they launched into the next year's production, yeah. and I tried to be funny, and I wore a bulletproof vest in there to explain it to them, and they all started crying, and there I am holding my bulletproof vest and all these people are crying and they didn't oh get the, it wasn't funny <laughs> so i should have brought a box of tissues you should have thought through that one i there. should have thought that through a little bit better like a lot of things all right christian so singing christmas tree was a big deal but honestly we made the decision to stop it but there was an event that happened that kind of really put the final period <laughs> On the singing Christmas tree area era. Tell us about what happened with the camel. Uh, Jimmy, I was trying to avoid it, but <laughs> here it goes. Actually, 2010, we were actually doing, basically, at this point, it was called Project Christmas, but we were still pretty much doing a lot like the a singing version Christmas tree. Of it, yeah. yeah. So we were singing We Three Kings. I mean, come on. So you have to have a camel in there. With so, kings on it. Yeah. Of course. And so the plan was that the camel will come into the sanctuary and then kneel down, and then the uh, the king would actually come off the camel and then walk up on stage, and then the camel would go away. Uh, but what happened was that the And cam- the music's big. Oh, my gosh. The choir is going. Boom, the boom, whole boom, thing is boom, awesome. It's the, biggest, yeah. it's the biggest moment in the right, song. Right, right, right. And the, the, the camel comes in. Everybody's excited. And the camel goes down on one knee, and apparently it either got spooked or it, the knee was hurting or something. Drunk, drunk Yeah, camel. it was drunk or something. And the camel actually, instead of staying down, it tried to get up. 
And as it was getting up, it got caught and it actually fell sideways onto like the pews and almost crushed a bunch of PBA <laughs> students that were sitting there. And But the most amazing thing was that our king, when he got off the camel, but not the way he intended to, he flew like 10 feet over <laughs> and landed over there in the pews somewhere. So that was definitely not the brightest moment in our Christmas uh, spectacular that year. Okay, so when I'm watching, were you out on the platform when that happened? No, I was okay. not. Okay, so I'm sitting in the audience on the second row. I'm looking over my shoulder. The camel's coming down the aisle right by me. <laughs> and it's probably 20 feet away from where I'm at. And he falls. And I see all of these Palm Beach Atlantic University students there watching the dress rehearsal. <laughs> and he falls into the students. <laughs> okay, this camel is gigantic. I don't know how much that was. It's got to weigh 1,000 pounds. I mean, at least. Falls, yeah. And I'm literally sitting on there and I'm thinking, well, that's the end. <laughs> That's the end. The Scroggins pastorate is over because I, I, I'm not kidding. I really expected when they got that camel up there to be like brains and PBA splatter all <laughs> over the all over the pews. I just thought we have just killed like four PBA students. That's the, that. This is how it ends. The this best is. thing, Jimmy, was that the choir didn't miss a cue. They kept going. The <laughs> choir keeps singing. <laughs> yeah, and and the king d- gets up out of the pew and gets up there on the stage. <laughs> it, was, it was the craziest thing. You know that thing. Of course, we're in the era of cell phones, and so that was video. It had two different angles from two different students who were videoing it. Yeah. And of course, they immediately uploaded the Palm Beach Post. Our local paper has it. But the next thing you know, in the next three days, this thing is on PM Magazine. It's on Entertainment Tonight. It's on the O'Reilly Factor. I got interviewed by a, a radio show popular in the South called Rick and Bubba. And I mean, <laughs> I mean, everybody had the video of the, the Christmas camel. And for our listeners, if you guys haven't seen that, uh, we'll put a link to it in our show notes. And if you have seen it, you really ought to you really ought to get it and and save it because it's a great thing to break out at Christmas time. And uh, thankfully, no one was injured. The show did go on, but that made it really easy to put the final nail in the coffin of the singing Christmas tree. That was not our only sacred cow. We had yeah. some other things that were going on. Let's talk about some other issues that we had as a church. Yeah, I mean, music is always a big deal. So we were uh, we were fighting the battle with the organ. At the time, the organ was another sacred cow for us. But the problem is that the organ had was in such disrepair that it was going to be hundreds of thousands of dollars just to bring it up to workable, you know, condition. Right. And so that was another one that we have to make a tough call and say, "All right, we're just not going to do this anymore." And that was that was a tough decision. And even till today, we have people. Man, I wish we had that. Now with our keyboards. You know, we can we can bring a little bit of that flair every once in a while, but that was a big thing. And another one was Jimmy Chapel by the Lake. That yeah, was that's a big right. deal. Yeah, we did own a legacy piece of property that our church had developed over the last fifty years. It's right on the Intercoastal Waterway in West Palm Beach. It's about three acres. It's across five lane highway from our main campus of our church, and so it's very difficult to get people back and forth. Mostly, we use it as a parking lot, and we did have some special events out there. But Christian, you you actually went to college at Palm Beach Atlantic. You've been to some incredible events at Chapel by the Lake. Talk about how powerful the Chapel by the Lake was in the life of our church. Absolutely. I think it, it was just iconic. I mean, people knew, a lot of people, just like they knew the singing Christmas tree, they would tell you, hey, aren't you the guys that have that outdoor amphitheater? Yeah, door so, amphitheater right yeah, on the water. They loved it. And incredible. so, you know, when you would do these sunrise services out there, I mean, yeah. just... 
the people that would show up from all places in the county, they would come just to be a part of that. It was a really, really special place and location. And uh, a lot of people got saved there over the years that were baptized there. I just have a lot of great memories with a lot of great friends making great music and serving God out there. But we knew towards the end of the time that it was really only being used once or twice a yeah. year. Yeah, we and, use it for sunrise services, and we used it for Fourth of July, and we had yeah. thousands of people come. Absolutely. And in its day, when it was developed in the early 1960s, it was a very unique and special environment, and it really was a draw for people in West Palm Beach. But the difference is, in the early 1960s, people didn't have most people didn't have air conditioner in, addition in their houses. They didn't have it in their cars. Yeah. People did a lot more outdoors than they do now in terms of you know sitting and listening to concerts and that kind of thing. And so the whole the whole place is now uh, different. And honestly, the requirements, the technical lighting and power requirements for an outdoor concert today are oh, so yeah. vastly different than they were in the early 1960s. And our church had not invested in upgrading the infrastructure to keep up with the time. So it was going to require a multi-million dollar investment to bring the chapel by the lake really up to par as a state-of-the-art outdoor amphitheater. And so we made the decision to sell the chapel by the lake. And we did. And that required, that was one of the big sacred cows in our church. I mean, people would say things like, how are you going to sell land that God gave us and how can you sell it? And that's holy ground because my kids were saved there and baptized there. And look, I've baptized people at the chapel by the lake and I've led sunrise services out there. And so it is a special place. And it's sad that we don't have it anymore, but we made the decision that it was better to kill the sacred cow and leverage that resource and the dollars that were significant that came from the sale of that property and leverage that forward to advance our vision of a, of a multi-site, multicultural, multi-generational church. Absolutely. Now, Christian, you, you probably don't remember this because you were four years old at the time, but 30 years ago in 1987, President Reagan gave a famous speech where he said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. I'm sure you've seen the videos, oh, yeah. right? Definitely. If there was going to be peace and cooperation between the United States and Russia, the wall in Berlin symbolized the divide between the East and the West, and that wall could not remain if we were going to have peace. And the wall did come down, and the Cold War did end for the time. So singing Christmas trees, pipe organs, outdoor chapels, they're, they're not as significant as the Berlin Wall, but they are significant barriers to change, and they were holding our church back from the future that God has had for us. And I'm so glad that our people ultimately gave us the freedom and the responsibility and the opportunity to tear down those walls, to tear down those sacred cows so we could move forward and do what God's called us to do. Hey, I want to ask you about something else. It's a little mm-hmm. bit more personal, a little bit more sensitive. So Christian, you're you're Puerto Rican. You're born in Puerto Rico. You're raised in Puerto Rico. You look Puerto Rican, dark hair, dark eyes. <laughs> You, you talk Puerto Rican, okay, Amen. so every once in a while you slip back into your, you know, your Puerto Rican accent comes out. And certainly, Jesus Marie, right. your wife, who's yeah. beautiful and sweet and godly and wonderful, but, you know, she has a very thick accent. Mm-hmm. You are the very first non-Anglo worship leader that our church has ever had. In fact, you're the very first non-Anglo worship leader that's in an executive level staff position at Family Church, because our church... Uh, the First Baptist Church of West Palm Beach, uh, historically, was a white, upper-middle-class and upper-class church. And even though things began to change in the 90s in terms of the makeup of our congregation, our staff and the leadership of our staff remained uh, monochromatic. 
All right. Mm-hmm. And you were the first one really to to break that barrier. And the history of a church that started in in 1901. I say that all to bring up the fact that it's not just sacred cows. Sometimes we have secret cows. Mm-hmm. And these are underlying barriers to growth and barriers to the future that we don't want to talk about. But we all know that they're that they're there. Can you talk a little bit about what it's been like for you as you've become really broken a barrier at family church and you've you've multiplied yourself because we also have the same kind of thing going on at all of our campuses. We have a multicultural platform. You know, Jimmy, it's interesting. I talk to a lot of friends of mine who call me on a regular basis and they're they're asking me, hey, you know, what are you doing to be more multicultural? You know, we, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, are you singing? Yeah, I got what, born. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What are the songs in Spanish that you might be doing? And, and, and you know, and I usually don't have an answer because the reality is that our church decided that we were going to look like our community. Yeah. And as you know, this area is twenty plus percent Hispanic. Yeah, probably um, closer to thirty at this point. Yeah, and yeah. so a lot of Hispanics. So you know, I always tell my guys, hey, you know what I do to be more multicultural. I show up on Sunday morning. I mean, like, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you're that, a so, and, and that's what we're trying to recreate across our different campuses. We we have these these campuses that each they're around a neighborhood, and that neighborhood looks a certain way, speaks a certain way, it has a different flair and flow to it. And so, we want to make sure that our teams and our our worship leaders look like the community, that they're a part of that community, so that people from other cultures come in, they can relate. Because a lot of times we think, well, if we do you know, a Spanish song, that's really going to get them. And, and, and that's great. But the reality is that they need to see people in their leadership that that looks that's like right. them, that speak their actual heart language that, that they can connect with. And so you know, it, it's it's been a great uh, kind of exercise in trying to figure out what that community really looks like. And then right, finding that right person that's going to that's going to look like them and that's really going to speak to that congregation, that neighborhood in our concept of neighborhood churches. Yeah, and I love that about our team because our, our, our church is still majority Anglo and our staff is majority Anglo. But at this point, we're 30, 40 percent Hispanic and some Caribbean black and others. And so I do believe that our every, our leadership teams from our lay leadership, our Bible study teachers, our deacons, our committees, and our certainly our platform team reflects that. And I think it gives people permission to come to family church and say, wow, this church really is a church that can relate to me, that understands who I am, that knows that I'm here. We'll do, we'll do some more podcasts on multicultural church teams and multicultural Mm -hmm. staff uh, in the future, but I'm so grateful, Christian, that you are here and leading our worship teams with such excellence. And you guys have produced some incredible resources that I want to make our listeners aware of. You guys have a Christmas album. You guys have a worship album. The Christmas album is original arrangements correct? of, yeah. of traditional songs. Yeah, with one original song in there. And then we have our worship album, Undefeated, five original songs, six total in the album. There's uh, uh, two arrangements of the same song. And we have orchestrations and choral arrangements and elite sheets and, you know, multi-tracks for different churches and pastors that want to use it. So that's that's all English available. and Spanish. Yeah. Actually, the Christmas album is in both languages, and we have several of our songs from the new album, the worship album, also translated. Yeah, and I think that's very, very powerful. So you guys have all these resources, and in the show notes for this podcast, we're going to direct you to familychurchnetwork.com, where all of the links and all of these resources will be available. And we have, I want to brag on you a little bit and your team. There are 
churches all over the nation and all over the world singing music that was developed, written, and produced right here at Family Church. And we make this available to other churches because we want them to take joy in singing these gospel-centered, exciting songs that really do have a, a multicultural flair. You can hear the influences of the people who are doing the writing and the arranging yeah. when you sing the music, and it's a whole lot of fun. So really, really, really thrilled. And, and Christian, I can't tell you the joy it is for me to get to work with you every single day and to share the platform with you every Sunday where you lead the worship team and then I get to come up and preach. It is a it is such a joy to know you, to know your children, to know your parents, to know your brothers and sisters. And, and I can't say enough about just the value that you bring to the kingdom of Jesus and its expression here at Family Church. Well, we've talked today about killing the sacred cows. Winston Churchill, followed by another great theologian, Rahm Emanuel, mayor of Chicago, said, never let a crisis go to waste. Well, we've tried to do that as we've transitioned our church from transitioned our church from what it used to be to what we believe God wants it to be. And we're not done yet because in every generation, new sacred cows emerge. And the things that we created yesterday can be sacred cows tomorrow. And so we want to keep a good eye on that because we want to be everything that God wants us to be. In our next episode, we're going to conclude this three-part series by answering the question that a lot of people ask us. Okay, you're supposed to start where you are, and then you're supposed to kill the sacred cows, but what do you actually do next? What is your plan? We're going to talk to you about how to develop a master plan and move forward on the next episode of Church for the Rest of Us. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins or check out FamilyChurchNetwork.com to chime in on our blog. We want your feedback on today's podcast. Plus, we want to know what you are doing because we want to learn from you too. Hey, until next time, this is Jimmy Scroggins and you've been listening to Church for the Rest of Us.